now let's turn our attention to our sermon. And instead of a video this morning, I wanted to tell you a quick story. On September 30th, 1820, Colonel Robert Gibbon Johnson climbed the courthouse steps in Salem, New Jersey. And as he was doing that, there was over 2,000 people assembled to watch him do something that they believed was so incredibly foolish that it was going to take his life. There were medical professionals. His brother-in-law, one of them, before he got on the steps, addressed the crowd and said, the foolish colonel will foam and froth at the mouth and double over with appendicitis from all the acleic acid. If not immediately, then he will eventually die of brain fever and cancer. So there's 2,000 people assembled. It's New Jersey, so they're taking bets on what's going to happen. And as he got to the top of the steps, he did the unthinkable. He pulled out a large red tomato and he took a bite of it. Now, you see, the common belief at that time was that tomatoes were poisonous. Everyone in North America believed this. Most people in Europe believed this. It was mostly used as decorative. But Colonel Johnson grew tomatoes and he knew that it wouldn't kill him. But everyone believed it would. And as he took a bite of that tomato, in that moment, the culinary world in North America flipped. What at once was seen as wise, don't eat things that are poisonous, don't eat a tomato, suddenly became extremely foolish. And the things that seemed foolish became wise. Now, what does eating a tomato have to do with our current sermon series on sin? Well, I'm glad you asked because this morning we are continuing on in a rooftop series called Sin, What Is It Really? And we're taking time to talk about that that big kind of churchy word that I'm sure you've heard, but it's never really properly defined or described. We say it a lot, but it's a serious word. Sin keeps us from being human. It keeps us from experiencing heaven, experiencing one another, and from experiencing God. And we here at Rooftop want to be people who, who have a good understanding of the gospel in such a way that it changes, the, our, changes our lives and the lives of others, then we have to understand what sin is. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to talk about sin. We've been talking about it. And as I said, the Bible doesn't really give us a definition, but it gives us some descriptors, some images of what sin is like. So we're going to take 12 different portrayals of sin and talk about them. There's a lot of these descriptors. As we're going to learn, the Bible talks about it like death and infection, bondage, lawlessness. But one way it's described in the Bible is foolishness. And as we mentioned at the beginning of our sermon here, up until Colonel Johnson ate that tomato, the prevailing wisdom was that eating it would kill you. So only a fool would eat a, toma- eat a tomato. That's kind of how the Bible talks about sin, right? Eating a tomato, eating something that might kill you, isn't a definition of foolishness, but it's a good description of what foolishness is. But what does the Bible say? How does the Bible describe foolishness? Now to get straight to the point, after you read all the stories, you read the Proverbs, you read the way Jesus talks about it, I think a good 
definition of foolishness is this, willingly or unwillingly living contrary to God's established reality. Yes, the Bible does talk about foolishness. There can be like a general naivete or lack of intelligence. But more than that, the Bible talks about foolishness as a heart posture. Turn to the 14th Psalm in verse 1. It says this, Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The fool says in his heart. Now we just did a 12-week sermon series uh, about reasons why we might lose our faith and reasons why we won't. And we talked about some of those objections to the Christian faith. And one thing we said over and over was these people are not intellectually dumb. Folly is not just, I don't have all the right knowledge. It's a heart posture. The Bible talks about our hearts as kind of the operating software of life. It gives us direction, focus. It tells us what to do, kind of where to go. We want to believe we're these rational creatures, that if we can just get all the right information, everything will be okay. But the reality reality is we more operate out of our hearts than we do our minds. And to be foolish is to live in opposition to the way God has structured the world. So God's set up a reality, and it's foolish to live opposite of that reality. How can we maybe understand this? Well, let's look at the world in which we live. We currently live in the United States of America. We live in what's been dubbed as Western civilization. We live in a Western world. Now, this Western world has given us wisdom on how we are to live, how we are to be successful, how we are to flourish in this life. To live contrary to that, we would say is foolish. Let's give an example. Maybe you're a student here, high school, elementary school, college. If you just one day sat down and refused to do your work, I'm not going to do any more of my schoolwork. Someone might say that's foolish because you know you're going to fail, right? You're going to fail the grade. You're going to have to repeat it. You're going to be behind. Maybe another way to think about this is maybe you're in high school or middle school and there's that kid at your school that you know you shouldn't be friends with because they get picked on a lot because maybe they don't have all the nice stuff. They don't say the right things. And your school has taught you, given you wisdom, don't be friends with them because then you're going to get made fun of. It teaches you, hey, you only be nice to people who can do things for you. Maybe you're an adult. Maybe one of your coworkers came in and said, you know what, I'm just going to start coming to work and play video games eight hours on my computer every day. Now, unless you're an Office Space fan, you probably missed this reference. Um, There we go. Somebody got it. But if your coworker came in and said that to you, you'd probably look at them and say, that's foolish. (laughs) You're going to lose your job. That's not how the world works. Life teaches us things. One time the disciples were walking with Jesus and they were going to go into Samaria, but the Samaritans rejected him. They didn't want to have Jesus there because Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And the disciples responded with, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on these people? Why in the world would they do that? 
I have never read Jesus walking around saying, hey, if someone doesn't agree with you, call fire down upon them, right? There was a, a wisdom, there was a life that had taught the disciples that that was an okay response. There's a wise and foolish way to live in St. Louis, right? I am an Atlanta Braves fan, a Nashville Predators fan. I see many of you wear your blue stuff, and I try to gently nudge you onto the path of righteousness. But usually you'll say to me, don't talk to me about the blue, don't talk to me about the Predators, don't talk to me about the Braves, right? That's foolish, right? I'm probably going to be a little foolish when the Braves come to town, and I make my way down to uh, the stadium, right? Wearing my Braves World Championship gear, right? It's got real quiet, everybody's saying. Yeah. See? <laughs> Foolish for me to talk this way. But what if I told you that there's something more on the line than just social credit, jobs? What if there are things that this world tells you are wise and of the utmost importance in life, but in the eyes of God and the reality He is creating, it is utter foolishness? And what if I told you that to live opposite of the way God has established the world is not just foolish, like childish immaturity, haha, but will actually do something to you, actually causes things to happen to you. Three things, as we read our Bible, I believe, happen to us as we live foolishly, as we live in contrary to God's world. Foolishness defiles us destroys us, and deceives us. Let's look at that first one. Foolishness defiles. One time, while Jesus was on earth, he was talking about what defiled a person. Now that word isn't a word we use a lot. Defile. That's, that's not in our normal vocabulary. It basically means to, say, to take something that's holy and special and important and use it for just like a normal, common Maybe an a ugly purpose. Think about it this way. You are an image bearer of God. You are to reflect God's glory and God's character and God's ways out into the world. That's a very, you are a very important, precious thing. Your body matters. All this stuff matters. And when we live foolishly, we take that thing that's special and precious, and we drag it through the mud. We might be tempted to think that foolishness is just childish immaturity, but listen to what Jesus says about it. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avariance, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, and right here at the end, folly. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Do you think of foolishness as being on the same level of murder and adultery? That's pretty serious. You're called to be an image bearer when you live foolishly it defiles you you can't live up to the purpose it's not this thing where god just looks down at you and he's just disgusted like oh what a disgusting def defiled person his heart breaks he looks down and he says god there's so much more for this person 
I have so many beautiful good things for them. Remember, defiling is taking something precious and using it just for common, ugly, normal things. To illustrate this, I remember uh, when we were in Texas, when I was at my last church, this was kind of a common story that went around. Um, we, they were over at a, a, a guy's house, and he had some Pappy Van Winkle. It's a, it's a really high-end bourbon, right? Um, now, how high-end? Like, if you go online and you look for some of this stuff, it can be like $10,000 a bottle, right? That's foolish, okay? <laughs> like, that's crazy, right? It, it's, it's really expensive stuff, but it is really good. I've been fortunate enough to have some. It's... So they all gather around. They got this bottle, right? This like precious thing that everybody's kind of excited to drink. And as the night goes, they haven't quite opened it yet. And all of a sudden, one guy starts talking about that his drink is really, really good. He's got, he's been mixing some Coke and he's been mixing some bourbon. And he's like, oh my gosh, it's really good. And everybody's like, oh, what'd you mix with it? And then all of a sudden they look up and realize that he's been using $7,000 bourbon to mix his Coca-Cola with, right? You know, maybe you're not into bourbon, but that's definitely a big no-no, right? That's taking something incredible and diluting it with Coke. And when we live foolishly, that's what happens. We have something beautiful and precious. And when we live contrary to God's ways, we defile ourselves. Let's, let's practice. All right, let's practice with another principle. Acts chapter 20 Paul's talking to church leaders about how to care for people. How are you going to take care of people around you? And he's recounting his life and how he lived as an example. And this is what he said. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So those are God-ordained realities. Support the weak. The weak should be made the priority. And it's better if you give than you receive. That is not the world that we live in. The weak are not lifted up. The weak are crushed. We are told to not give, but make more, hoard more, save more. Now, when we live in opposite of the way God told us to live, we defile ourselves. But that's a principle God has established in the world. So, it's foolish to hoard our money. It's foolish not to give. And If you want to know how hard this is, come to my house and try to talk to my six-year-old about why she should give her toys to her four-year-old sister, right? It's hard. It's it's just ingrained in us. Like, Nora, it's better for you to give than to receive. They look at you like you're a lunatic, right? It makes no sense. But if that's the principle, then to live opposite of that is sin. It's foolish. Jesus illustrated this in a parable found in Luke 12. And this parable shows us not just that living contrary to that principle is foolish, but also that it could end up destroying us. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says this. And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, listen to this. Here's the principle. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus, right here, very plainly. Your life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Have you ever looked on any social media, YouTube, news, basketball, like entertainment, football? Like our world teaches us the opposite of that. But Jesus continues on. Then he told him a parable. The land of the rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You are living contrary to the reality that I have established. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. You want to be rich towards what matters? Give stuff away. If you don't live according to God's ways, it defiles you, but it destroys you. That's what our second point is, that foolishness destroys us. The book of Proverbs is a book written to kind of be a training manual for uh, the elite in Israel, right? This is kind of like an insider book. They didn't just pass this out to everyone. Kings wrote all these sayings and they would get kind of the up and comers and they would say, hey, here's some wisdom for you future leaders. And it talks a lot about foolishness and wisdom in light of God's world. And in Proverbs 19, verse 3, says this, One's own folly leads to ruin, yet the heart rages against the Lord. Living contrary to God's ways leads us to ruin. Now, we had to give a little pause here. We had to give a note. Just because something terrible happens to us, just because something bad befalls us, doesn't necessarily mean we've been living foolishly. Right? We're not trying to produce a church of Job's friends who every time something bad happens, we show up at the door and say, all right, what'd you do? Let's talk about this. We live in a broken world. Sin happens. Broken things collapse and fall upon us. But there is a pattern. There is a pattern to how God has established this world. And one's own folly leads to ruin. If you've been paying attention to some recent events, even in the church world, we, we, we see this and it's awful and it's horrible, but we see the Hillsong, podcast, or Hillsong documentary and the Mars Hill podcast or stuff that's been happening in the SBC a couple of years ago. Our sin, our refusal to live the way God has ordained it will destroy us. Jesus, his greatest teaching on this new world Right, This new world that he is establishing. This old world is broken on the power of sin. Jesus comes to break that power, establish a new reality that is going to one day become the dominating reality. And in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he talks about what that's going to look like and how we experience that now. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives some implications of now that God is king again, which is what Jesus came to do, make God king. This is the new reality. And this is what he says. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. How great was its fall. But sin, living foolishly, also has this really ugly, broken part of it where not only will it destroy us, but it will trick us into thinking it's not our fault. Remember that proverb we read at the beginning said, one's own folly leads to ruin, yet the heart rages against the Lord. What does that mean? It means in some real ways, we're the author of our own destruction. But instead of being able to see it and recognize it, we blame God or we blame other people. Uh, my daughter, is, uh, she got her report card. And my daughter is a splitting image of me, um, unfortunately for her. Um, she's a splitting image of me. So much so that when I got her report card and read it, it was like I was in a time machine reading my report card, right? When I was in kindergarten and elementary school. I was a bit of a talker in school, uh, talked a lot, always at the wrong time, always in the back of the class, goofing off, being goofy. My daughter, much better than me, but sometimes is tempted to do the same. And usually those conversations would happen in my house. My report card would come home and my parents would say, hey, you're getting some bad grades here, but your teacher is also writing that you, you're smart enough, you can do this work. But you're, you're talking, you're distracted, you're distracting other people. What's going on? And my response, as I'm sure every elementary school student has said at some point, my teacher just doesn't like me. As if my teacher was, you know, out to destroy a fifth grader. The reality was, I just was foolish, right? I didn't do the work. I was laughing and joking and doing my own thing. But instead of facing that and dealing with it, I blamed my teacher, much like, some of the destruction that falls upon our lives, we're quick to blame God. But eventually what happened is I blamed my teacher so much that I eventually began to believe it. <laughs> and how many of us have been in relationships with people where we see them eventually get to a place where they just, they're blaming everyone. They're blaming God. The problem is I, I, you don't solve those problems. If you can't face it, you can't solve it until you're 35 and then you start counseling, right? Then you kind of get everything in order. That's because foolishness defiles, it destroys, but also to our last point, it deceives. Why did I put deceiving at the end, right? Wouldn't the natural progression be it deceives us and it defiles us and it destroys us? I put this one last because probably for most of us, this is where we are currently at. Not many of us are walking around going, well, my life's a complete wreck. Maybe some of you are. I'm glad you're here. But most of us are maybe here, that there's areas of our lives that are foolish, but it's deceiving us. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. 
Have you ever wondered why it's so easy to look at your spouse, your friend, your kids, President Biden, former President Donald Trump, and list off the million ways that they are horrible and wrong and are in sin. But when you turn that same gaze back on yourself, well, I can think of maybe a few things. Why is that? (laughs) We do that because sin deceives. And who do you think it deceives first? (laughs) It deceives you and I first. We tell ourselves, okay, yeah, here's this one place. It's foolish. It's out of line with how God's called us to live. But these other areas, I'm really good. So it can't be that bad. I know God said life doesn't consist of possessions, but if I could just work like 80 hours a week for four years, then we can go move into that big neighborhood we've always dreamed of. If I could just grind it out for 10 years and be absent from home most of the time and be emotionally unavailable to my family, I can, we could get that fancy thing. We're deceiving ourselves. When you get that big fancy thing, newsflash, there's another big fancy thing down the road that you're going to keep grinding to get. You know, when I go off to college, I just, that's a me time, right? I don't need to worry about going to church or poor people or orphans and widows. Who cares, man? I got to study. I got to get a degree. I got to go do this stuff, right? I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to put my head down really focus for these three, four years in college. And then when I get out, I'll get back into church and do the church thing, right? That's deception. Well, it's good to study. It's good to work hard, right? The world tells me that I should do those things. I deserve them in some ways. But God saying, no, the weak are lifted up. The orphan and the widow are the priority. Sins like pornography are living in contrary to God's design in such a way that it literally rewires your brain and deceives you into thinking that it's not that bad. I, in pastoral work, have prayed, visited, worked with people who have addictions. And I remember talking to my counselor once and I said, do they, can they really not see it? Like, do they really, they can't see how this is just completely destroying their life. My counselor said, we call it honest self-delusion. That yeah, there there comes a point where the brain gets so rewired, so broken that they really, they're telling you the truth. They really do think it's all okay. That's what sin does. It defiles us. It destroys us. And it deceives us. So what does God do? How does God respond to us, to our world, when he looks down and sees a world rife with foolishness? Not just immaturity, goofiness, but a real commitment to living life opposed to God's reality. Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, 
And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. He sends Jesus, the very wisdom of God, to this planet, to this earth. He sees all the the deception, the defilement, the destruction. And what Jesus does is He comes and He saves us from it. Saves this world from it. And opens up a new way to be human in this world. In ways that are utterly contrary to the world. If you are going to take a world that was broken and messed up, how, and going in bad ways, how would you fix it? Well, the West, our world says, well, if someone acts out of line, if they're doing bad things, what do we do? Destroy them, right? Let's bomb them. Let's put sanctions on them to where they can't eat food, right? That's the way the world thinks. What does Jesus do? He comes and says, all right, I'm going to take all of their defilement on myself. I'm going to take, I'm going to let all the destruction that they're causing in the world fall on me. And I'm going to open up their eyes and let them see a new way to face this world. And what does he do? He goes to the cross and dies. What? what? That's foolish. <laughs> That's the opposite of what we should do. Why should I die for my enemies? Why should I pray for the people that hate me? That's worldly wisdom. But what Jesus does is he transforms that and makes that the very power of God. When the colonel ate the tomato, he flipped everything upside down. When Jesus dies in a much greater way, he flips this entire world upside down. So what do we do? Well, this morning we come into this place and maybe you're here for the first time and you look at your life and you think, man, I'm living contrary to God and it seems like every area of my life I you talk about being an image bearer and being somebody that reflects God's glory and love out into the world and I look at myself and I'm full of hate anger malice you talk about life and life more abundantly and I look at my life and I just see destruction what Jesus would want to do is wrap you in his arms and love you and care for you and bring you into a new way of living life. Bring you to the point where you say, I'm done with that. <laughs> that is death and destruction. This is life. Or maybe you're a Christian here and, and you... As you're hearing me preach, you think, yeah, okay, maybe there are a few areas where I see that it really is foolish. Love my neighbor. I hate my neighbor. I hate most of my family. I, maybe, well, I don't hate them, but I'm, I'm not emotionally available to them. And that's okay, right? That's foolish, God says. 
Would you mind standing to your feet? I'm going to pray for us. Would you mind standing? And I'm going to give us a moment to reflect. And I don't know how you best connect with God. I'm going to pray. If you want to listen to my prayer and, and pray it, if you have something you want to say out loud to God, say it. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and let's ask the Spirit, Lord, would you come into our lives? Would you, Lord, we know that sin deceives us. We know that you've set up this world to be a beautiful place where the weak are cared for. But Lord, I don't live that way. I'm not, this area of my life, or maybe my entire life, seems just broken and destructive. I'm not living how you've orchestrated me to live. I see in my life destruction in my relationships, my inability to love. I, I'm so broken. Would you, would you come, Lord, and would you show me those areas? Would you open my eyes to show where am I walking foolishly? And Lord, would you show me that the way is the cross? That you carried my defilement. You let all the destruction that was coming to me fall upon you. And Lord, I want to hope and trust in you. And more than my Savior, as incredible as that is, will you show me how to live? Holy Spirit, we're going to sing a song and we're going to ask you to lead and guide us. As we sing this, would it come from our hearts as we cry out to you? As we sing, speak to us, Lord. Let us not be afraid, but let us come boldly singing our praises and our prayers and our hearts to you.